You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to just continue uh, in the life of Joseph. And so I pray that as we do that this morning, God, that you would just minister to our heart. God, that you would just open our minds, open our hearts to what you'd have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank the worship band this morning? Oh, can we thank the worship band this morning? Awesome. Ooh, the nice low pad. Did anyone feel that? We call that the Holy Spirit pad. That's when you get that going. People, you know, they start moving. Uh, well, this morning, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Joshua. I'm the pastor's here at Banner Church. And I, uh, man, it's just been a blessing, I think, to see what God's doing in the streamer series, or what God's been doing in the church. I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, but it has now been... I mean, because Sundays fall on different days of the month, but it has been a year since we launched in to this building. So it's our technical one-year birthday. So one year later. So it's been really cool. I think what God has been doing, what God's been awakening. So I just want to um, encourage you that there's, there's, there's big stuff to come. And so as we continue this series, my prayer is like, if you miss it, go back, listen, listen to some of the messages. I know Carson shared a couple weeks ago, and then this last week, uh, it was just cool to see kind of what God was awakening and stirring in life. So, um, I just, I encourage you guys to, to be a part of what's happening because I think everyone that, that is currently would say, man, good stuff is happening. And I think sometimes we're really hard on, on where we are. Sometimes I'm, I'm hard on even, even my own church. Like, ah, I want to be here and I want to be doing this. But this week I was like recalling all the stuff that God is doing and awakening. And I was like, wow, this is good. When I just think in the scope of two years since we've been here, I think, man, it's just so cool what the Lord is doing here at Banner Church. Um, it's not a perfect church. But God's moving, and I'm thankful that God uses imperfect people all the time. That's why I have a job. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I'm thankful for it. So this morning uh, in our Dreamer series, uh, I want to talk to you about the big break. And I want to talk to you about this idea of that we're all waiting in some way. We live in a culture that desires to kind of make it big, have the make it big moment. Was, did, everyone, did anyone follow kind of the mega millions ticket and follow that number? No, no one did. All right, good. So you guys all live under a rock. No, I'm just, how many of you guys followed like the Mega Millions and you saw how much it was? All right, awesome. And, and how many of you would be honest to say, I, I talked with my spouse about what we would do with the money, but I never actually ever went and bought a ticket. Does anyone do this? Where I spent all this time going, yeah, what would we do if we won mega millions? What would I do if I won like a billion dollars? It was like, what, $1.6 billion? I can't even like begin to understand that. I don't even bank at a kind of bank that can deal with that amount of money, right? Like, like if I came into a like I would have to bury it just because it would probably take me a year to be like, what do rich people do. Like, what do they do with the money? It's like, oh, they put it in stocks. Like, okay, great. You know, and so $1.6 billion. And so we spent all this time, and I was telling my wife, like, we should, we should buy, we should buy a Mega Millions ticket. We should buy one, because, you know, you don't know. And then we talk about all the things the way home. And then, like a ranch, and we could da-da-da-da-da. And we talk about it, and we'd be like, yeah, we should, like, totally buy one on the way home. And then I saw someone, like, won, got a ticket and won a chunk of the money. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I never actually went out and bought a lottery ticket. And this is my life, is that I'll dream up, be like, oh, yeah, man, what could I do? I'll see the, like, the billboard and be like, I want, I want to make it big, right? And the lottery is built on this idea of skipping process and just making it big, right? It's like the most brilliant, whoever came up with the lottery, it was a brilliant way to make money for the government, which is like, let's just raise a bunch of money in the hopes that maybe some person can win it, and then the government will take more than half of it, right? So it's like, if you win 1.6 billion, you, we all know we don't win 1.6 billion, right? Not only that, but you've jumped into a tax bracket that none of us really understand, except maybe a couple of you here. And so now it's like, I don't even know how taxes work in that bracket and that thing, but there's this desire in our culture to kind of like hit the big time. Right? That's why like, we are the, the nation and generation of TV shows that are founded on the idea of do something and compete with people and win $10,000. Right? We could literally sit down 
and make the food network right here. Like, okay, what do we make? Um, let's make cupcakes. Great. How many times? Three times. And what do they win? $10,000. Okay, what can we make? Let's make cake. Let's make bacon. Let's make food. Let's just do something and win $10,000. And that's like essentially what we see on TV all the time is this desire to make it big, right? Like nobody goes out and buys the, the football jersey of somebody who's not famous, right? Like there's not like Aaron Rodgers, guy who's made it big, and kids don't go see There's Aaron Rodgers jerseys, right? That it's because it's the guy who's made it big, and kids don't go out throwing the football like, like, like a high school star or like the guy who got fifth-round draft pick. They go out and they try to throw like Tom Brady. Are you with me this morning? Because we all desire, as in part of us, to make it big, to, to have this moment, this kind of moment. We, we would joke about this when I was doing worship, is that when you do a live recording of worship, there was always the worship kids in the front. And every kid at this concert was singing their heart out like they were about to make it big, like at some, at some moment the guy from Hillsong was going to step off stage and be like, you, come sing with me. And now they've just made it big and they sing on Hillsong, right? That's a desire that we have. We desire to make it big. And I think often in our own life, it kind of feels like we're waiting for that break. We're waiting for that big break, that moment where everything comes together. You know, this season maybe, we're like, ah, this season's kind of crazy. But when it all comes together, when it all gets aligned, when it all finally shifts and moves, then something's going to happen. There have been churches that have waited for a move of God all the way until they died. Because they're waiting for some day that everything's going to align perfectly, everything's going to fit perfectly, and then we're going to make it. Then we're going to do it. We're a culture that desires a big break. And so when we begin to talk about dreams, what can happen all the time in the Dreamer series is, is we hear like, oh, I got to get a dream for my life. And I, and, and I want a God-sized dream. God, just awaken you. What, what do you have for me? What, what are you trying to call me to do in the kingdom? What are you trying to awaken in my life? But, and, and we're looking at Joseph and we're like, man, he was with Pharaoh. And yeah, he got this. And we look at, you know, other ministries and other churches and other situations and other people in our life. And we see where they're walking in their anointing or their calling or their promise, and we're like, yes, eventually my day will come. Eventually my day is going to happen. But we forget that what exists between the revelation and the realization is the process. And this morning what we learned so clearly from Joseph is about the process. See, because often when it feels like, has anyone been in a situation and felt like God's not working in that situation? You're like, God, what are you doing? I, I can't see if you're working. And often when we're in a situation and we're not in the realization of the promise, we're not in the realization of the dream, but we're, we're pretty far from the revelation where he's given us that dream. We're just kind of in this middle point in the process. We're like, God, what are you doing? And often when it seems like God is not working in, in that moment, in our situation, he's trying to do the work that I think is the most important to him, and that's the work inside of us. And that happens in the process. And so when we look at the life of Joseph, and there's a lot of scripture, so I just want to dive in this morning, and I'm going to believe you're just going to, we're going to roll through, which is basically like two chapters of scripture. But what we see in the life of Joseph is the importance of the process. And that, yeah, we, we all want this day, the big break, the opportunity. We all want the fulfillment. We all want that thing. But what is happening in the process? Are you with me this morning? Amen. Awesome. Well, let's do this. If you brought your Bible, would you open with me to Genesis 41? If you're with us in the Joseph series, and you'll remember that Joseph was in prison. He was in prison for five years. Um, he interprets this dream, and he tells the cupbearer, remember me, and uh, the cupbearer does not. And so this is kind of where we pick up. Joseph has had a dream. He's been sold into slavery. He's risen up the ranks of slavery. He's been acute, wrongly accused and been put in prison. He's risen up the ranks in prison. He's, he's um, done really the work of the Lord in prison, told the cupbearer to remember him, but he doesn't. And so here we are picking up in 41 verse 1, and this is happening uh, a couple years after he's in there. So, so you got to follow us here that he's, he's now been 
uh, in prison for almost a decade, and he's now been a slave for more than a decade. So we talked the other week about, you know, sometimes it doesn't go according to plan. I don't think a decade in prison usually is a plan. But here, here's where we're picking up in the life of Joseph. It says this, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile that after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. It says, and the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. It says, and Pharaoh awoke. And then he fell asleep again and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, which would have been interesting to see. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. So follow me here. Pharaoh has these two dreams. They're powerful dreams, and I talked last week, so I won't rehash it all. You can go back and listen. But how important dreams were politically, religiously, socially in that time. And so Pharaoh has these two dreams. Again, we're seeing dreams in double again. It's supposed to be confirmation. And so he's having these two dreams, and he invites invites all the wise men who have all the earthly wisdom in all of the kingdom. And this is Egypt. This is a massive dynasty, one of the greatest ancient dynasties. He's inviting all of those people. So it's not a small town. It's like literally these are the people that are building pyramids and, and, and creating languages and art and science and all these things, right? So he invites all these smart people. None of them know. So here's what happens then. Verse 9, we'll keep going. It says, then... The chief cupbearer, this is the guy that Joseph interpreted the dreams. He said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When the Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me, put me and the chief uh, baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. And then verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when, they had sh when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And I think it's interesting that it talks about it happened quick. Because to Joseph, none of this probably felt quick. Does anyone in here think 10 years in prison is quick? right? Uh, over a decade in slavery, that's not quick. And yet it says quickly. They brought him out quickly. And I believe that sometimes when we're in the process, when God begins to move, we got to make sure that we're ready because it happens quick. When God begins to move, when God begins to awaken the promise, when God begins to release you into the potential of the promise in your life and what he's called you, it can happen quick. And so the question for us is, am I ready? to be used. Have I been preparing to be used? Because when it happens, it's going to happen quick. Verse 15, let's just keep going. Everyone with me this morning still? You're still with me? We still like the Bible. We're still a fan of it, and it's reading. Good. <laughs> uh, Genesis 41, 15, it says this. It says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is an important moment, right? This sounds like when he was in prison. That Joseph is saying, yeah, uh, I know you think I can do this because you're used to wise men. But this wise man is following a wise God, and that's how it works, right? He puts the glory back on God. And when you begin to be released into the dream, when he begins to awaken, when God begins to move in that moment, you're always going to have the opportunity to give yourself the glory or God the glory. And that's always a heart check in that moment. It's like, yeah, you know what? I've served for 10 years. I have earned this, right? Joseph could have said that like, yeah, man, I've been working on this for a long time. But what does he say? He said, God gets the glory. God has the power because Joseph knew from his time that I have the opportunity here to put the glory on myself or on the Lord. 
And we don't know what would have happened. Maybe it would have stopped kind of right there. Maybe he couldn't interpret if he just takes all the glory. But he does it right and he puts it on him. And so I'm just going to summarize this part is that he sums up essentially the dream of Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream and he begins to, to, to summarize it. And basically uh, it says right here, in, starting in verse 25, we'll just skip down. It says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows came up after them are seven years, and the seven years blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. So there's seven good years and then seven years of famine. And verse 28 says, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams mean that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. So he interprets this dream, right? This is a powerful moment. And, and go with me here because I think context is important. This is a man that, that was so disheveled and stinky and, and was in prison that he had to go clean before he could even come be with Pharaoh, right? This is, this is Pharaoh is the person that people all over want an audience with, that nations would send delegations of riches just to even get in to his presence to talk to him. And here is a prisoner, a slave, a foreigner, a uh, a person who is in a prison full of people who are enemies to the state, who now is interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. That if you want to talk about a meteoric rise, right, into this moment, here is Joseph, someone who in the stature of the world is so small, and yet in this moment, because he's walking in the authority of Christ, has all power and all authority in this moment. And so what does he do? Does he just kind of interpret it and leave it? No, he like doubles down on this moment. And look what he says in verse 33. It says, now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning wise man. This is very clever. This is kind of saying like, well, somebody should get a raise, right? It's like, and set him over the land of Egypt. Some kind of discerning guy that can interpret dreams. Also rhymes with Yosef, right? It says, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of plenty. So he basically saying, you should double taxes. And let them gather all the food these good years that are coming up and store the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. That shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. So look at this. Joseph in this moment is still a prisoner, right? He's not, not a prisoner just because he's in Pharaoh's court. And what does he do in this moment? He's advising the most powerful man in the world. A prisoner is advising him. And when we look at what's happening in Joseph's life is that God gifted Joseph to be administrative. Right? This is why when people are like, I don't know if I'm gifted by the Spirit, but I am administrative. I'm like, really? Have you read about Joseph? Because Joseph saves about 3 million people by being decently administrative. So administrative people, stop apologizing for being administrative. And then we can start saving lives together, right? This is why things happen is because you're administrative and things actually get done, right? All the administrative people said amen. Amen. We're glad that you're administrative. And so he, God has gifted him to be administrative, right? His father's flocks in his father's house, he's administrative. In Potiphar's house, even as a slave, he's administrative, right? In prison, he's still administrative, right? In this moment, he uses this gifting to be administrative, but he's walking in this authority. I mean, am I the only person that thinks that's crazy? That would literally be like the president calling uh, a prisoner out of prison and saying, hey, I heard you know some stuff about dreams. And that prisoner being like, yeah, I think I do. And then being like, great, why don't you tell me how to tax the whole nation of America? Right? That's what's happening. Right? Why don't you inform me on just general policy? And he's like, great, I think we should double taxes. And now all the libertarians are like, no. <laughs> you know, but he's, he's advising him on policy. Political jokes, they just don't go that far. We'll wait till after November 6th. We'll see. 
But he's advising him on policy in this moment. And look what happens. You'd think Pharaoh would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is this dude? Like, I have people for this who do the taxes stuff, right? I have people for this. But he advises him, and look what happens in verse 37. I know it's a lot of scripture, but it's powerful, and the Lord says it better than I could say it anyways. He says in verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. You know it's God when the president and all the other politicians are united together at one time. That's just the work of the Lord. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none, uh, none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over all my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Remember, 25 minutes ago he was a prisoner, right? Just like half an hour ago, however long it was, a day. Uh, only as regards the throne will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And so then he, then he starts doing stuff. Like he takes his signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand. That means he has the authority. He clothed in him garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. That means now he's royalty. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out. So they go out into the street and they call out to other people, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah and he gave him marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went over all the land. And get this, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That means he went into slavery at 17. He spent almost half of his life in slavery, and now he's walking in this. During the seven years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up the food for seven years. He put it he put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Look what happens right here. Joseph becomes the overseer of all of Egypt. And though Joseph doesn't quite know it yet because he hasn't seen his dream come to fulfillment, we from a pulled back advantage can say that his dream is starting to happen, right? That his dream is starting to come true. That he goes from a field to a pit to slavery to a house to prison to now he's in Pharaoh's house and he's 30 years old. He's 30 years old and he is deciding the future of millions of lives. And so Joseph is riding around in his chariot, right? And it says they go through the street, and Joseph is right. I don't know how to walk right a chariot. But Joseph is in the chariot, and people are bowing down before him. They're kneeling down before him. And they're, they're honestly, they're, they're, they're showing reverence before him. And I guarantee you, some of the people who were slaves, some of the people who, who were in this process thought, man, I want to be like that. I want that. Right? If you were in prison with Joseph, and you were also God-fearing, could you imagine where you're like, Lord... I want that big break. I would really love that. I'd love for that, everything to just come into alignment because I'm still waiting for my promise. And when they looked at Joseph, what they saw and what you saw is a superstar. See, when we look at Scripture, we see process. But when they saw Joseph, they saw superstar. See, when we look at uh, someone and we look up to them and we look at them and then the culture elevates them, we see the superstar, but we don't see the process. Right, we see the Tom Brady football player, but we don't see all of the steps, all of the process, all of the years that someone went through in that, in that separation between what they felt like they were called to do and the releasing of the promise and where they were. And obviously I'm using Tom Brady as an example. I don't know if God has ordained for Tom Brady to be there because I do dislike the Patriots. But, but amen again. But, but the point this morning is that that process is so key because Joseph's life is not an isolated story. See, God has called you to great mission. God has, I believe that God wants to use you for great things or else Jesus wouldn't have said the things he said in Scripture. And so he's called you and empowered you and given the Holy Spirit to you and, and this belief. And yet what's between the revelation and the realization is process. And and so when we desire to see the dreams come to fulfillment, we're like, God, how are you releasing this dream? How are you releasing this promise in my life? And I believe that we learn really kind of two major things from Joseph. Y'all want to hear them? Amen. Good, because I'm going to share them with you. 
<laughs> one of them is this, be present in the process. See, this is so key when we look at the life of Joseph, is that God uses people who are present in the process. See, this process, this process that you're in, that you're walking through, is what unlocks, is what releases the, the, the promise that God's trying to bring. See, process always comes before the fulfillment of the promise. And now I'm not saying that God put Joseph in prison. All I'm saying is that we can look at the scripture and say, that's a process. And regardless of what your life has been, process can recognize process, right? If you're in process, you're like, I recognize this, this is my life. Things are good, then they're bad, and I'm still trying to be faithful and walk along it. But what we see in Scripture is that God raises up people who are not afraid of process. That God raises up people who are not afraid of the process, of the pit, of the prison, of the slavery. They're not afraid of those moments, and they're walking in them. See, and I, and I know God can use everything, right? God has used a donkey. That's always reassuring for me because sometimes I act like a donkey. And he can use a donkey. So I love that. But God loves to use people who are present in the process. Are you with me this morning? And those are people, when I'm talking about present in the process, I'm not talking about you got everything sorted out, that you're living, you know, some elevated life. I'm just saying you're not running from the process that he has. I mean, look at Joseph's life. Joseph has a dream. We're like, that's great. And never in Joseph's dream did he imagine get thrown in a pit and sold to our distant cousins that hate us. Right? That was never in his idea. And yet he's sold into slavery. And instead of curling up to die, instead of just being like, well, I know God had a dream, so I'm just going to stand back here and wait. He's present in the process even while in slavery. And what does he learn in that slavery? He develops the administrative gifting and anointing that God has given him. That even as a slave, he raises up, right? He gets elevated into power. He serves faithfully. Then he gets accused of a crime he didn't commit and put into prison. So what does he do? Does he give up and say, God, I don't understand. I, I want to be over here in this harvest field, but you got me here in this prison. No, he's present in the process, and he develops, and he works, and, he ser and he's a part of it. He's seeking the Lord, and, and he stays integrous, even though it, it, we, none of us probably would have faulted him for, for giving in a little bit. And he stays faithful to the, to the process. And in prison, he grows this administrative gifting. He grows this, this dream interpretation gifting that he's been given. So now when he's in, when he's in, when he's in a Pharaoh's house, He's functioning in the fullness of what he's learned in the process. See, what happens all the time is when adversity comes, we detach from the process. Think, well, this isn't where God's calling me, so I'm just going to wait. And waiting on the Lord is key. Waiting away from the Lord is different. Or I'm just going to wait till my big break. I'm just going to wait until God kind of like brings the right thing that I'm really looking for. Or I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait, and then he'll bring around that opportunity. I'm just going to wait for the next season. But what I love is all throughout Scripture, there's just time and time again where God uses and releases people to great power and great potential when they're faithful in the process, when they're present in the process. Think about Moses. If you know Moses, Moses grew up in a palace. This is the only thing about the desert. But Moses has to flee to the desert, and he has an option in the desert. I can learn about the desert. I can, I can hone my gifts. I can draw near to the Lord. I can respond to his calling. I can be a part of it even in the desert, or I can just curl up and just wait. But what he learns in the desert is how to live in the desert, only to then get called by the Lord God to take a million people into the desert of which he now knows how to live. Right, think of Elisha. Elisha is tilling the ground, and he's planting seed, and he's believing. He's doing the hands-on prophetic work, right? He's in the dirt. He's working the field, and God calls him from the field because he's a part of the process. He's, using, he's used to sowing and hoping and believing that there's going to be life. Look at David. David isn't even called up by his own dad when opportunity comes. He's out working with the sheep. But David isn't detached. He's not what was me. He's not out writing, you know, dark poetry and shoegaze music, you know, crying and whining and shopping at Hot Topic. He's not just some emo kid out in the field, right? He's, he's learning how to fight. 
He's learning how to struggle. He's writing psalms to the Lord of praise. He's learning how to be a worshiper. He's learning how to be a king even though he doesn't know it because he's present in the process. And so when we see Joseph, Joseph is faithfully serving in prison. He's faithfully serving in Potiphar's house because he's present in the process. And process is crucial for releasing the potential of the dream that God's given you. See, God is always looking. He's not looking for the most talented, you know, the most fearless person. Look at Gideon. Gideon is, is used, and his process is crazy. But Gideon's hiding in a wine press, just like eating grain, hoping to make it by. He's, he's not saying you got to be this charismatic. He's not saying you got to do this much. You got to get up on stage and preach. You got to do these things. He's not saying that. He's saying, will you be present in the process that I'm working out? See, you might be right now in prison rather than in the promise, but don't detach from the process because God might be trying to awaken and stir a gifting and anointing in your life that you didn't even know about. We don't see Joseph go into prison as a dream interpreter, but we sure see him come out as one because of what's going on. And we, uh, if you've been around church, you, you've probably heard Romans 8.28, and we love Romans 8.28 because it says, and we know that in all, in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And we like that part. And it says God's going to give me good stuff, which God does love you. <laughs> but verse 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God desires for us in the process to be being conformed to the image of his son, to grow. That even when you're in prison, even when you're not there, even when you're in the field, even when you're with stinky sheep, that you're still growing and desiring, God, I want to I wanna be, like, be more like Jesus Christ, to draw more into your son. Now, I'm going to make an important point of clarification just real quick. I, I know for time, but I, I got to clarify this. I, I want to tell you that what I'm saying about being present in the process is not a salvational condition. Follow me here. What I'm saying about God releasing in your promise, I'm not saying you got to do this in order to be saved. Right? You could move to China and start an orphanage and work there for 65 years and God will not love you more. People are like, what? No, follow me here. <laughs> God loves you with the fullness of his love that is for you right now. You cannot earn more. You cannot gain more. Now, you can get a deeper revelation of more because there's always more to be had. But, but what I'm saying about present in the process, I don't want you to twist this into some works theology like, okay, I got to do this, right? I got to do a certain amount of religious activities while I'm not in the place that I'm at because if I do, if I read my Bible five times this week, then God's going to really love me and release me. That's not what I'm saying. Are you with me this morning? Because this is important. This is important is in, in most of our life, and I talk this about when we think good works, we think this idea of what I'm doing for God. And so when I'm hearing about being present in the process, what I begin to do in my mind is rather than surrendering it to God, I begin to think of things I'm doing for God in the hopes that he'll use me, in the hopes that he'll love me more, in the hopes of these things, right? But what I'm trying to say this morning comes from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Hear me. It is a gift of God, your salvation. You cannot earn it, not by work so that no one can boast. It says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God has prepared in advance for us. See, the good works, they're not religious activities. What I'm saying about being present in the process, I'm not saying that this week you've got to go and be like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And if you don't, then you weren't present in the process and God's not going to release your dream. What I'm saying is that God desires for you while you are building and growing and he's trying to do a work in you as he's doing a work in your dream. And as he does that work, his desire is that you would be conformed more to the image of his son, knowing full well that you're going to miss the mark in things, which we talked about two weeks ago, knowing full well that, that, that we're going to make mistakes, amen, that we're going to miss things, and that our goal isn't, isn't to do more for him, but to desire to become more like him and that he will do more through us. Are you with me this morning? It's a process. You're in a process. That's why it's important that as a church we understand we're in process. If you come to this church and you, and you expect us to be fully in the promise, you're wrong. Even this building 
is part of the process. Everything's part of the process. We're in process. We're growing to be more like Christ, and we're not there. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in process. Look at your other neighbor and really boldly let them know, especially that one that's been bugging you, I'm in process. I'm in process. Because it's more than this, right? It's more than just saying, I, I'm going I'm to do this, do this, do this, do this, religious activity, religious thing. It's saying, God, you've given, you put a dream in my heart, and I believe that you unlock it. It's by your power. Be like Joseph. It's like your power, your glory, your authority. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk in that. And I'm just going to be who you've called me to be in season and out of season. And I'm going to walk in that and just say, God, I, I, I give it to you. And so we say, really, like, that's it? It's just like good old-fashioned grit? Like, that's the key to Joseph's life? And I don't think it's that. I think it's grit and glory. I think it's two things. Because it's not just grit. It's not the will of your mind that makes this happen. See, right, how did Joseph show love to the people that enslaved him? I would have a hard time doing that. I would have a hard time loving the people that enslaved me. I'd have a hard time not falling into depression in the prison, but having joy in that situation. I would have a hard time being at peace when I likely could be killed, right? I would have a hard time being patient when I was a slave for 13 years. I would have a hard time being kind to the very people that imprisoned me. I'd, I'd, I'd have a hard time being faithful to the promise for 13 years in prison. We have a hard time, right? Just grit it down and be faithful. That's hard. I'd have a hard time being self-controlled in that moment. You want to know what takes self-control? Joseph was now the second in command. You know who was now under Joseph? Potiphar's wife. If you got thrown in prison for 10 years, what would your first number one I'm now in charge move be? You're going to jail. <laughs> right? That'd be number one. <laughs> but he has self-control. How does he have all these things? Let me read you a scripture. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, Joseph wasn't just present in the process. He was filled with the Spirit. And I don't want to get into some pre- or post-Pentecostal understanding, uh, Pentecost understanding of the, the Holy Spirit, and you want to tell me when you think the Holy Spirit was working or not working. I, I think we just, we'll just read this scripture, and then you can do your thing. But, but it says this in verse 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh recognized that the Spirit of God was with Joseph. The second thing this morning, and this is crucial. This is more crucial than the first thing. In fact, you cannot do the first thing without this thing, and that's be filled with the Spirit. You cannot be present in the process. I mean, you can for a while. Your will will hold up for a while until you're sick for longer than you wanted or haven't landed the job that you really need. I mean, you can be present for a while, but that wears off, right, until the relationship doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. Then all of a sudden being present in the process is a little bit more like I'm just going to pull away and binge watch the office and eat food and hide away from people and then wonder why the pastor doesn't call me enough. Like we can be present for a while, but without this, it's nothing, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you live in a, an incredible time? I, I hope you know that. And that we have received what Jesus promised in John 14, 16. I'll ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you. Did you know Jesus said he's going to send another, not a lesser. The Holy Spirit is not lesser. It's another. And that you, as a follower of Christ, have been filled. You have the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord indwelt inside of you. And so what you're facing, like I talked last week, you're facing with the Lord. And in your process, it's not you just being faithful in a vacuum. It's not just that God gives you a dream and drops it into your life and says, don't screw it up. Because you know what I do like day two of don't screw it up? Screw it up. <laughs> That's what I do because I'm a human. And, if you, you know, we've all been there. But he doesn't just drop it into a vacuum. He, he gives you this dream and this vision. It says, I'm going to give you an advocate, the Holy Spirit. I want, I'm going to give you an example real quick of, of how we function. Uh, the other day, my daughter was helping me build in our house. And we were carrying wood. And my daughter really wanted to carry this big, heavy like load, this big board. And so she was carrying it and like looking to me like, look, I'm carrying it. And the whole time I'm like, just give, give it to me so we can get some stuff done, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to love you anymore for carrying it farther. 
right? I'm not going to, like, love you more because you carried more heavy stuff. Like, oh, you care. But so much of our relationships are that way, that we receive more love for the more things we do. So when we get to God and God's like, no, stop carrying this. Give it to me so we can get some stuff done. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to earn my love and just allow me to fill you with the fullness of the Holy Spirit so we can start getting some stuff done, so we can start seeing some movement, so we can start seeing some stuff through your life. Right, it's worse still like my toddler trying to prove it to the Lord by holding the weight, by holding the board, being like, look, look how far I'm carrying it. Look how far I'm taking it. And God's saying, no, just hand it over and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, we flip it in the wrong order all the time. We have a promise in our family, a dream that God's given us in our family. So we just work and work and work and we try to do the right things and, and be this and, and be in this mode. And then it kind of all falls apart. So what do we do then? Then we turn to God and we cry out to God and he hears us and he loves us and all those things. We have a relationship and we desire to be pure in the relationship. So we're like, this time it's this, this time, right? How many of you said this time in your life, right? Like this time we're going to stop this or whatever. And we get in this mode, and then all of a sudden things don't go. We don't have the self-control. We don't have the peace. We don't have the joy. And then we turn to God and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? And he's good, and he does. But what if we just flipped it? And in the process, we went to him first. And I'm not saying you got to have, like, this epic remodel your house and build a prayer room. I'm just saying driving in the car and listening to some worship music and saying, God, I, I need you to, I, I don't have patience for the dream. I'm believing big things for my daughter. And I believe that God has given me a dream in my life for Lucy and her life. And I'm believing big things, but sometimes I just need patience to survive the car ride. And I'm like, Lord, rather than trying to do it myself, trying to be in the process alone, and then getting angry and yelling at her and then apologizing and then saying, God, can you give me patience? What if I just started there? With Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Fill me up more. I need the patience. I need the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I started there. Not this epic prayer room like I'm like lighting certain things and I'm trying to make it right and then it's good and then I can ask. I'm just talking about in the car and we're listening to never be shaken. And I'm like, you know what, God, I got the presence. And I, God, would you just fill me? Are you with me this morning? That we start there, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We try to fill it with so many things. We try to fill it with will. We try to fill it with additives. We try to fill it with, with other ideas. And what we should do is say, God, would you just fill me more that I can pour out the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5.22, remember it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, if you're going to be in the process, you got to get filled by the Spirit. If you're going to be in there getting your hands dirty, if you're going to be in there not running away from the process, but a part of the process, you got to say, God, fill me. See, it's not enough just to strive for the gifts of the Spirit. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love what God does when he manifests in a powerful way. And I believe it's for the building of the body and the edification of the believers. And a mighty move of the Holy Spirit is, is something we desire so much in this church. But can I tell you, if you live off the gifts and you neglect the fruit, you're going to starve to death in your life. Because God desires for you to be full of the Holy Spirit. And as you're full of the Holy Spirit, that by his power, you'll begin to see things. You're right. You're not patient. That's why you need him. You're right. Depression is strong in trying to hold your life. That's why you need him. You're right. You don't have the self-control that you should have. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Be disciplined person. But start there. Flip the order. I'm going to invite our band up this morning. I think when I look at Joseph's life, I get fired up because we're in this season where we begin to see the fulfillment of the dream. And I love to see dreams fulfilled. I love to see dreams come to be. I love it when God moves people into the promise. I love when God begins to do things, awaken things, change things, shake things, move in ways that are supernatural. But can I tell you, church, that it is not going to happen by us just all collectively deciding, now I'm just going to be better. That's not how it works. Now I'm just going to do more. And if I go to small group every week this month, then God will release me into my promise. It's going to come because we desire more than anything to draw near to the Lord, to be full of him, 
to get a deeper revelation of his love, to experience more of who he is. And as he does this, it's no longer about measuring up, making it. It's no longer about the big break, the right season. It's no longer about uh, uh, checks and balances of, oh, I've done this many good and this many bad. It's not about that. Jesus came and he died for you. It's why we did communion today. And his blood covers you. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. So we move on from that. We say God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I'm not living over here. I'm living over here. And when I'm over here and I'm still in the process, what I'm saying is I'm not going to try to do it alone. I'm not going to try to try to go it alone. If I'm believing that God's put a dream in my life, I'm not trying to just stir it up alone and hope that eventually I'll get the right combo of prayers and he'll release it in my life. But that in the process, I'm just going to be faithful and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. We have so overcomplicated, I think, the church that we have all these different things. Seven steps to unleashing the promise in your life. No, it's, this is God. God gives the promise. God gives the dream. God gives the power for the dream. God releases the dream. God sets it. God makes it happen. It's all God. And our job is to come before him and say, God, like we said in our act series, if there's more of you to have, I want to have it. Because I desire to be more like Jesus. I desire to press more into you. And he knows. He's like, I know you do. And you're going to mess it up. And you're like, I know, me too. But as I press into God, as I draw near to him, I discover the depth and riches of his love. And I'm no longer trying to earn the dream. I'm no longer trying to pay it off like there's some deficit. I'm just drawing near to God and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need peace in my situation. I don't want to get trapped in anxiety. I want to be part of the process. I need your peace. Holy Spirit, I've been in prison for a decade. I don't want to be identified as a prisoner. I don't want to just try to will myself. Today I'm going to have a good day. No, I, I want to receive the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. God, I, I'm just going back again and again to this, and I want to step into the dream and the vision, and I've gotten books about self-help, and I've, and I've gone to the seminars, and I've done all that kind of stuff, but I'm still not getting it. And God's saying, listen, flip the order and come before the Lord. And as you come before the Lord, he's going to fill you. And as you get filled by the Holy Spirit, as you receive more of who he is, he's already with you. But can I tell you, there's more to have as you receive more. You let everything else go. Let it all go. Just like my daughter who's carrying this burden. And God's just this morning just saying, can you just let that go? Can you hand that over? Stop trying to earn it and just get filled up. Stop trying to earn it. I know every relationship you've had, it's been an earned-based love, but not this one. This one's surrender. When you surrender, when you say, God, fill me, he'll fill me. That peace you've been trying to get by yourself, that comes from him. That patience you've been trying to get for your kids in your situation, that comes from him. That gentleness instead of anger, that comes from him. That kindness when you're just bitter and frustrated, that comes from him. See, God wants to use people who are part of the process, but before you do that, he wants to fill you this morning. He wants to fill you this morning. Would you stand with me? Would you just close your eyes in this place this morning? I do this because it just helps us focus in this moment. He said, I don't know, I don't know your story, I don't know your situation, but right now, if you're in the process, wherever that looks like, maybe you're in a good part of the process, a high point, but you're still in the process, maybe you're in the prison, you're in the low point, maybe you haven't even gotten to the second pit, you're still in the first one, like, oh my goodness. But wherever you are in the process, You've tried to kind of just will this dream in your family or in your relationship. You've tried to just like will it forward. And God right now is just saying, let go. Let go. And invite me in. The Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to fill you in a fresh and powerful way. You're saying, I, I just desire to have the fruit of the Spirit 
Maybe in your situation you need patience. Maybe you need peace. Maybe, I don't know what that, that one thing is, but can I tell you that they all come from the thing that you actually need this morning, and that's the Holy Spirit. And it's just this simple, and it's invitation and an openness to say in these moments, God, I, I don't want to do it myself. I want to be full of you. Maybe you've been struggling with anxiety, and you desire peace, and you've been trying to work out situations and exercises and things to free yourself from anxiety. But can I tell you, it's the Holy Spirit who brings supernatural peace into your life and who wants to free you and release you this morning. Joseph, to be full of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all that he is, all that he brings. Say, how do I know if I'm filled? Because you'll begin to see those things in your situation. Every eye closed, every head bowed, you'll begin to see those things in your situation. Joy where there should be no joy because there's loss. Peace where there should be no peace because there's just stress. Patience where there should be no patience because it's been taking longer than you ever hoped or imagined. But as you're full of the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to see those things. They don't come from you. You didn't earn them, but God wants to give them to you freely this morning. All you got to do is say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? If there's more of you to have, I want to have it. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you this morning, regardless of where you are in the process, you're saying, this morning, I want to be part of the process. I'm walking this out, but I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled up. I need to get filled up this morning. Would you do this with me? Would you just lift up your hand to him? See, I need to be filled up by the Holy Spirit this morning. I need to be filled up by the Holy Spirit this morning. I need more of you, God. More of you, God. More of you, God. Come on, stay right here. And wherever you are, I'm going to pray for you this morning, and our worship band's going to lead. But just leave your hands up kind of in a receiving posture this morning if that's you. And as I pray, I just encourage you, just invite him and say, Holy Spirit, I, I need more of you. That's a prayer he loves to hear. Holy Spirit, I just need more of you this morning. And I'm going to pray for you this morning. And I believe as our band goes, I'm just going to invite you just to receive that and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you up this morning. Allow him to fill your heart wherever you're at in this moment, wherever you're at in this place. Let's pray together this morning. God, I pray for these people with their hands raised this morning that are right now saying, God, I need more of you. Who are saying, God, whatever that is, Lord, I'm tired of trying to just will it myself or earn it myself. Instead, I'm flipping the order and I'm saying this morning, God, would you fill me up? Would you fall afresh on me? God, would you come into my heart, into my life in a powerful way, more than I've ever experienced or known? God, as I'm part of this process, as I'm walking it out and I haven't seen the fulfillment of the dream yet, I'm still believing, but I need you, Lord. I need your strength. I need your joy. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your kindness. I need your gentleness. I need your self-control. And so, God, I lay myself down, and I just invite you this morning to say, God, would you fill me? Would you fill me this morning with your voice? Just invite him. Just say, fill me this morning. Fill me up, God. 